gift Jonah couldn't hide from God. Crossroads. My name is Ryan Liming, and I am the student ministry pastor here at Crossroads. And let me tell you, um, I've been here for, for about four months, and getting the opportunity to engage students, high school students, middle school students, has been a great privilege. And so, um, parents in the room, grandparents, people who have people in student ministry, I hope that you understand and know that I love Jesus very much. And my vision and goal and hope as I partner with you all in knowing students and, and showing them ever more Jesus. Uh, I, hope you, I hope you know that. I hope that encourages you. And uh, as we begin to dive into our text today, um, we're going to be in Jonah, finishing up chapter 1, heading into chapter 2. And uh, by the way, if you do not have a Bible in your home um, in front of you, in the seat back in front of you, there is a Bible. Please, please, please take that with you. And uh, that is our gift to you. We really value the word of God here at Crossroads. And so as you begin to think on what it means to love Jesus and follow Jesus um, in your personal walk with him, it's very, very important that you guys see that. But Jonah, chapter 1, finishing up. It's on page 774. And uh, we're finishing up chapter 1 because we have been on a journey through this book that we're continuing to journey on, right? We understand that there is this man This man who is supposed to be a man of God, right? He is this prophet, and this prophet has a couple problems. Number one, when God calls him to go, he runs, right? We have this big idea, this idea of running to rescue. Why? Because ironically enough, Jonah, the man who should be running after God in his covenantal relationship with God, and the man who should be running to do the will of God is running away from it. And that's the, that's the position that we see Jonah in. And so as we've walked through Jonah, last week if you were here, Pastor Dave talked about when, when Jonah is on this ship, right? He's on this ship trying to run away from God, which is foolish in and of itself, right? He is on this ship, and, and there's a couple things that we're exposed to. The first one is that there's this big storm. And when the storm comes, we have to understand is the storm brings great fear, there's a couple problems. Number one, Jonah has a wrong fear and a wrong response. Well, how do we know? Because he doesn't care about the storm that God's bringing. He doesn't care that God, he is escaping and running away, trying to run away from this covenant relationship he has with him. And he's sleeping in the boat. So therefore, his wrong fear leads to a wrong response. But then in, in these sailors, right, we see them. They're afraid, very, very afraid. And yet in them, they may have a right fear, but it doesn't lead them yet to a right response. And once again, ironically enough, finally we see a right fear and a right response, yet it's not found in the person who should have both of those things. We see the sailors finally understand that the fear that they should have is for Yahweh, the Lord, and not these other gods. That should not be their fear. And then that response is where they begin to make sacrifice and vows to the Lord, to Yahweh. And yet, Jonah still hasn't got it. Why? Because what happens to him? 
it gets thrown in the water. And that's where we pick up today in, in Jonah chapter one, starting in verse 17. Look with me. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over to me, over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. See, this is the moment that we've all been waiting for, right? Whenever someone thinks about the book of Jonah, what comes to mind? The fish. This great fish, and yet this fish, there's three verses about him in the whole book. A book of four chapters, and yet that's what we're distracted by. And so therefore, we have to learn a couple things about the fish. Number one, this is a story, not just, not some made-up story, but a historically accurate story where God really did use a fish to bring back a broken man, where God used whatever fish it might be, and, and we were talking about this in teaching team, like what could it have been, right? Well, we have a couple pictures on the screen for you guys. Um, the first one is of this right whale, okay? So we're exposed to the fish here in verse 17. And, and so we're looking as a teaching team, Josh and I were talking, the uh, pastor at Shelby, and, and we were thinking, what could it be? And, and so it turns out that there was some DNA found of northern right whales in the Mediterranean Sea. And when I see this big old bad boy, I think, wow, there he is. There he is next to an elephant. And then that little guy up there in the corner. Uh, another one that, that w we found DNA evidence for that sounds more scientific than it really is. We just researched on the internet. Um, but the gray whale, right, look at this big thing, right? There's an elephant, once again, a human. So think about swall being swallowed by that, right? Think about what that could entail. But here's the kicker for me. This one gets me every time. It's the great white shark. Oh, man. I don't know about you guys, but every time I see that bad boy, I get some fear, all right? because it's a good thing to be afraid of sharks. Why? Because they can eat you. But think about this. Think about the fact that the fish that swallowed Jonah could have been a great white shark. They're indigenous to the Mediterranean Sea. And honestly, I'm not going to be able to come up here and tell you what swallowed Jonah because that's not the point. Why? Because if you've been here for our series, what we have to understand is the goal for Jonah the goal of what God is doing in this great story is to help us see that this is just another broken man. A broken man who God is trying to do, not something outside of him, right? God can use whoever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. 
The point isn't that he's going to be swallowed by a fish. The point isn't that he's going to the Ninevites, but rather that God is doing a mighty, mighty work inside of Jonah, where Jonah begins to see the things that he is supposed to see. Pick back up in Jonah chapter 2. says this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. See, the first thing that we have to notice is that this is the historically accurate thing that actually happened. But the second thing is that Jonah is praying when? Inside of the belly of the fish. And notice what he begins to say. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. And then notice the language that he begins to use. Out of the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jump to verse 5. The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. See, Jonah, the ironic thing that we have to learn about the fish is that he's not afraid of the fish. He's not afraid of being inside of the fish. Well, how do we know that? Because he's praying this prayer with this language inside the belly of the fish. Why? Because Jonah, when he is cast into the sea, is very afraid. And finally in Jonah, we see the right response. And the response is desperation. Desperation, that's your first point there. Desperation. Why is this so important? Because... God will bring us to a deep point of desperation to break us. That's what happens here for Jonah. See, Jonah isn't upset about the fish. Jonah is scared. He's afraid. He becomes desperate. Why? Because he's drowning. He says, the weeds were wrapped about my head. He's not talking about the fish here. See, the truth is that the fish is just another way in which God shows Jonah his grace and his mercy. Once again, Jonah begins to see, hopefully, right, from this point on, he's not a perfect man. He's a broken man. And so in his desperation, this desperation that God is causing in him through the circumstances of his life, he finally realizes something. He finally realizes that he needs to act desperate. As an example of this, I was trying to think of many, many times in my Life when I have been desperate, and, and when it comes to girls, that is the case. But especially my time at Cedarville. Um, I don't know if you guys know this. I'm a graduate of Cedarville University, and uh, I'm originally from Cincinnati also. Shameless plug, maybe shameful for some people, but I've got this, these Bengals socks that I'm rocking today. All right? So I'm from Cincinnati, and uh, you'll probably laugh at this too, but, but Cincinnati is somewhat hilly, all right? It, it's actually known as the city of seven hills. And... and so the thing about Cincinnati, when I moved to Cedarville, I didn't understand something, all right? In Cincinnati, when you get on your weather app and you see that it says 28 degrees, you can trust that when you walk outside, it will feel like it's 28 degrees. Not the case at Cedarville. Cedarville is one and a half hours north of Cincinnati, and yet, I swear, I have never felt so cold in my entire life. And after I was talking about this at the 9 o'clock hour, uh, somebody told me, well, welcome to Mansfield. <laughs> so uh, granted, <laughs> I'm very nervous. But anyway, as you think about Cedarville, right, it's super flat, okay? And so you get on your weather app, getting ready for class in the morning, and you're like, okay, 28 degrees. I've faced this all before. Not a big deal. 
But the really important thing is you got to look at the feels like. Why? Because when the wind is 150 miles per hour, it makes you really, really desperate for something. It makes you desperate for warmth, right? And so in your head, you start thinking, okay, how can I get from this dorm that I live in to class without getting as cold as I possibly can? Because I know when I turn the corner and that wind hits against me, it is going to cut through me like a knife through butter, okay? And so when you think about this, you're like, how can I possibly escape this? What can I do to get around my circumstances? You're like, okay, I can cut through this building at this time, and hopefully I won't be late to class, and if I am, maybe my professor will forgive me, right? Why? Because in those moments, you're very desperate for something. You're desperate for warmth. And so maybe at first you act like, oh, it's not a big deal, right? It's just the cold, and then your fingers fall off, and you're like, okay, maybe it is a big deal. So then you try to fix it on your own. Here's the thing, guys. I use this example but we often do the same thing that Jonah and the sailors do. Because when we face something that is challenging, we face something that puts us in a position where we should be desperate, oftentimes we do a couple things. Number one, we ignore our desperation. Sometimes when we're facing something really, really painful in life, we want to just act like it's not that big a deal or that it's not happening. Sometimes when we have something that should call within us desperation, where we need something outside of ourselves to intervene, we want to ignore it. We want to act like it's not a problem, like it's not a big deal. That happens for Jonah. Before he realizes this in the belly of a fish, he's sleeping inside of the ship, where he doesn't even realize, first of all, that he's desperate for the Lord's physical intervention, but secondly, that he's desperate for the Lord's internal intervention. Why? Because this man has been acting very selfishly. This man has said with his actions, my way is better than God's way. And therefore, that should cause in him a desperation, and yet he's ignoring it. Sometimes, when it comes to our desperation, we try to solve it on our own. We think about the idea of being desperate Sometimes our solution that we try to come up with, instead of ignoring our desperation, sometimes we attempt to solve it on our own. Sometimes we attempt to, to fix our own problems, and I believe that's your second blank there. We attempt to solve our desperation on our own. Or we, in our minds, are like, okay, how can I get myself out of this situation that is making me feel very desperate? And this happens for the sailors. Well, how do we know this? Because in their moment of great fear, the first thing they try to do, even when they learn that Jonah is a man running away from God, they try to row away. They try to get out of their circumstance where they should feel very desperate. And yet, here's the hope. Here's the good news. Remember, Jonah is a, is a normal human being just like us. Finally, Jonah gets it. Like the sailors get it before him. And in our desperation, the call for us is rather to cry out. See, Jonah finally realizes that he needs to cry out to God for his intervention. He realizes that in his moment, in his deep desperation because of the circumstances of life, he is literally physically drowning, but also spiritually drowning. He finally cries out back to Jonah too. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. 
Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Jump down to verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. See, Jonah, in a moment where he is extremely desperate, where he has been very, very afraid, finally understands, I need to cry out. And this has become true in my life in many, many cases, but I'll share with you one. Or we think about our circumstances in our life that are filled with great pain where we should feel extremely desperate. And I remember my parents splitting up. Uh, I was a junior in high school, and, and it was somewhat of a shock to me. And I, and I just remember thinking, okay, you know, I, it's not that big a deal, right? I wanted to ignore it. I wanted to ignore the fact that it was affecting me in a way that I never even realized it would. Much like Jonah sleeping on the fit, in, sleeping on the fish, sleeping on the ship, right? We oftentimes want to act like the things that should be kind of a big deal in our lives where we're hurting deeply. Sometimes we want to act like it's not that big a deal. Sometimes we try to fix it on our own, right? I couldn't fix my parents separating. I couldn't fix that. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't solve it on my own, but I try to, right? You do what you can to make things better, to make things okay. And what I didn't realize is that the first thing in those moments that I need to do is to cry out in desperation where I say, God, I don't know what to do. God, I, I need your intervention. The same is true for us as it was for Jonah. That when we get to a point in our life where we feel completely desperate, what we can do confidently, hope-filled, is cry out. Stop ignoring the moments when we should feel desperate, right? Because we don't like to be helped. We don't like to have some outside source where we say, God, I need you. We need God's constant intervention in our lives. And guys, don't miss this either. Sometimes, maybe we're really, really good at crying out when, we, when our circumstances of life maybe make us feel desperate. But sometimes, when everything's good, when somehow, even though I'm a desperate guy, somehow I get a date with that girl, right, where I get to the point where I'm thinking everything's okay, everything's fine, it's all good. And the truth is that even in those moments, we need to be co- people who are constantly desperate, who cry out like Jonah for God's intervention. This brings us to the second thing we see in Jonah, the second thing, this idea of remembrance. When Jonah finally realizes that he's desperate, it causes in him remembrance. Why? Because remembrance, as we think about it, we need to understand that desperation positions us to remember the faithful love of God. See, in moments when we feel completely desperate, it's positioning us into a moment where we remember, where we have the opportunity to remember God's faithful love. And I believe on your handout it says something along the lines of, you can't remember what you don't know. Does it say something like that? Yeah? You can't remember what you don't know. Think about it like this, all right? There have been many, been many, many times in my life where I tried to call something to mind, right? I tried to remember something, and if I don't really know it, I can't remember it. Think to Jonah. Here we see in him remembrance. He said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Jonah is in the midst of great trouble. Look down to verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. 
and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. See, Jonah's desperation, his situation where he feels extremely, completely desperate causes in him, positions him to remember. Where he remembers that the cause of his life, the goal of his life, is for God to be doing a mighty work inside of him. And see, here's what we have to understand and know about Jonah. He is a man of God, a prophet of God, someone who should be following God. And in order for him to remember these things, like the fact that his, that his prayer can go to God in his holy temple, that he has been the one who's paid regard to vain idols, and yet with a voice of thanksgiving, he can sacrifice to the Lord. How does he know those things? It's because he truly knew them. He was able to remember them. So you can't remember what you don't know. And this has played a vital role in my life. And you're going to notice a lot of my illustrations come to girls because I have really poor luck with them. And so with my mom, she was telling me about the things I should look for in a woman, right? Like think about those things that your mom tells you that, that you should know, right? That you should know. So maybe she tells me you should look for godliness and she should be really sweet and she should be, you know, loving and all those things. But when, when my circumstance, when my situation hits me right in the face, when I finally get a girl to talk to me, all I can think of is beautiful girl, right? And you're like, shoot, what did my mom teach me, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> the things that I don't know, I can't remember them. I can't call them to mind. And I'll tell you the other side of things where I was actually able to remember what I actually knew, right? When somehow I get that girl to go on a date with me, I am able to remember the things that my mom taught me, like, hey, be a gentleman, right? Pull out her chair, open the door, don't eat like a fool, right? All those important things. I'm able to do those because I actually knew them, and therefore, when my situation, when my circumstance hits me right in the face, I am able to remember. See, here for Jonah... He is finally doing two things. Number one, he is remembering God's character. He's remembering God's character. And see, Jonah, he doesn't, if he doesn't already know and understand, if he doesn't have a relational depth with this covenantal, faithful God, how can he call to mind, how can he remember the things that he doesn't know? Jonah's not caught off guard. Finally, when his circumstances bring him to a point of desperation, he is able to remember God's character, but also God's activity. He is able to call to mind the many, many times that God has shown, been a faithful God, right? Exemplified that he is, that is true of his character, but then also exemplified faithfulness in the many, many ways of faithfulness he acts towards us. He is able to call those things to mind, to remember them because he already knew them. You, know, you want to know a reason why the Word of God, not the only reason, but one reason that the Word of God is really, really important, why we care so much about it? It's because we see so many examples of people who are brought to desperation and a covenantal, the covenantal, faithful God reveals his character and also his activity. We are then able to call to mind when we have soaked deeply in God's character and his activity, his goodness. Because let me tell you, if you don't have a good view of God when your circumstances hit you in the face, 
you can't remember his previous faithfulness. Don't get caught off guard. And I have to remind myself of this all the time. Because when I feel like, oh God, why are these my circumstances? Why am I facing this? Why is this so hard? When I remember God's goodness and his faithfulness, and that his goodness is not dependent on my situation, it changes the way I begin to think. It changes the inside of me. You see how this is happening to Jonah? Don't lose sight of the fact that Jonah is still in the fish. Finally, we see deliverance. It may not be the deliverance that we expect. See, for Jonah and for us, in the midst of our desperation, in this calling to remember, God delivers us to a greater awareness of his greater purpose. Notice that this doesn't say God delivers us from the painful circumstances that we're facing. Back to Jonah 2. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, in verse 9, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. See, Jonah, in this moment, has a realization. He has a realization. Notice verse 10 hasn't even happened yet. Jonah is still inside of this fish. Jonah is still inside of this fish, and yet he makes this statement, salvation, deliverance belongs to the Lord. How can he say that? How can he say salvation belongs to the Lord when he is still in a very scary, very terrifying, I would imagine, I hope this never happens to me, situation? How is Jonah able to understand and say confidently salvation belongs to the Lord? Well, look at verse 8 and 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. See, Jonah realizes that he has been the kind of person who doesn't look like someone who's delivered. Not delivered externally, but delivered internally. Because what Jonah finally has to realize is that he has been the type of person who has paid regard to vain idols. He has been the type of person who has fled and taken his own way over God's way. He gets to the point where he sees and realizes, I have been the type of person who has tried to have a covenantal relationship with something other than the one I'm supposed to have it with. See, inside of Jonah, deliverance takes place before outside of him. And that plays into our lives as well. How? Because sometimes, here's the truth, guys. Deliverance, sometimes it happens without remembrance. Sometimes people who are in pain-filled circumstances, who bring pain to other people, are delivered. Sometimes people who we think should have the worst life of all have a really nice life. Sometimes there is deliverance without remembrance. Non-covenantal, faithful, loving people of God sometimes get delivered from their painful circumstances. Sometimes that happens. And when that happens, we want to go, why? God, I'm such a good person. And we may not say it aloud, but sometimes we think it in our hearts, in our minds. God, why is there deliverance without someone remembering you? Sometimes there's also remembrance without deliverance. Sometimes we can have and be working towards a covenantal relationship with God where we are following Jesus, and yet we're not delivered at least in the way that we expect to be or want to be or desire to be. See, for me, this has been true many, many times in my life where I realize even though 
I feel like my relationship with God is good. My circumstances aren't. That's because God's goodness and our relationship with him isn't circumstantially dependent. It's not dependent on the things that are happening around me. The question is, what's happening inside of me? This happens for Jonah. He remembers that salvation belongs to the Lord even before he's been delivered in the way that he thought he would be. See, sometimes there's deliverance without remembrance. Sometimes there's remembrance without deliverance. But salvation always belongs to the Lord. That's how Jonah can say this before he's been delivered from the fish. Why? Because God can use anyone he wants to go to Nineveh. But more importantly, God is trying to do something inside of Jonah before he does something outside of him. God is pulling him even though Jonah has been running away from him back to himself where he realizes that he needs to be the type of person who lives desperately or he needs to see that the salvation that the Lord is bringing isn't the one he necessarily wants or expects. Rather, right here in this passage, Jonah is being delivered from his own foolishness. He's being delivered Salvation that he's talking about is from his own idolatry. Where he begins to see that, that his love for God has been overtaken by, one, by himself. And we fall in the same trap. We can easily fall in the same trap where we desire something more than we desire the one who is completely covenantally faithful to us. We fall into that trap. We begin to think that the, the deliverance that God is talking about is just the stuff I want to get out of. But really, what God is doing is showing that Jonah needs for something, for his selfishness. Maybe for his unforgiveness towards the Ninevites. Maybe for his bitterness and anger with what kind of life God wants him to live. Those are the things that God is delivering Jonah from. Go back to my example of my family. See, my circumstances weren't the ones that I wanted or expected. And the deliverance that God brought wasn't the ones that I necessarily wanted or expected because my parents still divorced. This painful, heartache circumstance where I saw people hurt by the circumstance I was going through caused in me anger and bitterness and really unforgiveness. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to call my dad because I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm mad at him. Why? Because of my circumstances. I'm not going to answer his text because I'm angry. I'm mad at him. He's hurt people. I'm not going to hang out with him or spend time with him. Why? Because I'm angry. He's hurt people. I'm done with him. And then I realized that God in me trying to show me the deliverance that he was bringing is a deliverance of unforgiveness and bitterness. It wasn't like overnight, all of a sudden, right, I forgave my dad. It's not how it happened. It's not the way it went. However, when I realized that God was trying to do a mightier work inside of me, it changed the way I began to think 
about my father. Why? Because the work inside of me was deliverance from unforgiveness. How can Jonah say salvation belongs to the Lord before he's delivered from the fish? It's because he realizes that the deliverance that he wanted or expected is not the salvation that he begins to talk about. See, God is delivering him from himself, from his own foolishness, from the way of life that he thinks is the way to live life. And as we close today, as we think about what it means to truly be desperate, it means that we need to be the type of people who are desperate for our relationship with God, whether our circumstances dictate it or not. Where even in good times or in bad times, when everything in our life seems to be going the way we want it to or nothing seems to be going right, we need to be the type of people who are desperate. We don't ignore our desperation. We don't try to fix it or solve it on our own, but rather we understand that we can and should confidently cry out to God amidst our desperation. And that should evoke in us some kind of remembrance. Right? I think to the Psalms where you see the psalmist say, God, why are these my circumstances? Why does it feel like you're not around me? Why do I feel left? And yet, the psalmist also says, whether David or another, yet my hope is in the Lord. Why? Because they understand, as we should continue to understand, that in our desperation, we can cry out to God, we can remember his previous acts of goodness and faithfulness to us, and work towards deliverance, not necessarily from our circumstance or situation, why? Because sometimes people are delivered whether or not they remember. Sometimes people remember without being delivered. But salvation always belongs to the Lord. And this became real and true for Jonah. And I hope it becomes real and true for us. That we would see that God is trying to do a mighty work inside of us. Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. See, before that happens, Jonah realizes that salvation belongs to the Lord. We have to realize that the deliverance that we expect isn't always the one that we want, or that we should want. Sometimes that the one that we want isn't the one that God brings, but rather, we should realize that God is trying to do a mighty work. I need to realize that God is trying to do a mightier work inside of me before he does one outside of me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we think upon your covenantal, faithful, good love, I pray that we're the type of people who live like we're desperate. We realize that we need your constant, consistent intervention, not just in acts, but in relationship. That we would see, Lord, that we are desperate for needing you. Lord, that, that plays on our desire, it plays on our satisfaction, where we begin to see that we need to be satisfied in you desperate for you, desiring you. Lord, let us call to mind then the things that we do know, that we hope we know. The many, many times where you have shown us your covenantal, faithful hand. And Lord, let us see that that brings deliverance. Maybe not the kind that we want or the one that we expect, but rather where you deliver us from our own foolishness. We pray all this in your name, your holy, matchless, wonderful name. Amen.